David Mitchell's first novel, Ghost Written, was awarded the Mail on Sunday John Llewellyn Reese Prize for the best book by a writer under 35 and was shortlisted for the Guardian First Book Award. His second novel, Number Nine Dream, followed in 2002 and was shortlisted for the Booker Prize as well as the James Tate Black Memorial Prize. In 2003, David Mitchell was selected as one of the best young British novelists by Granta. He also returned to Britain from Japan where he spent eight years and now lives in Ireland. Welcome to the Bibliophile. Thank you very much. One of the things that you've been doing is, is experimenting with the novel as well at the same time as being a masterful storyteller. I'm very conscious of the footsteps I am following and the giants on whose shoulders I might be standing. Georges Perec could do both. Calvino could kind of do both. Kind of in that sentence is just because he sort of wrote more exquisite miniatures than anything kind of big. You, you link your exquisite miniatures. Well, thank you for calling them exquisite. I do link. Is it unusual? Unusual-ish, but I wouldn't describe myself as unique. James Joyce was experimental, but not the masterful storyteller. I think he proved to his own satisfaction he could do the storyteller part in the Dubliners, and then, and then became more interested in style and form and structure, plot and character, maybe. Mm. Well, in a way, although you could also say he, he, he was the inventor of the X-ray machine, of fictional character or, or the electro microscopist of fictional character. He, he just sort of zoomed in to a more profound level than anyone else has sort of been, anyone else had gone before or really has been since. He's gone to the unconscious, the yeah. subconscious, and he's yeah. gone to the dream level. Yeah. So where else do you go? That's the end of the road. There's no further point, and if you go any further, you're no longer writing novels of any description, I think. Um, because it becomes complete gibberish. Yeah, yeah. Structure, I view that as sort of the great virgin tract. It's uh, not yet been widely explored, I think, the structure. So uh, I've, I've got this instinct to monkey around with structure. More recently, I'm sort of becoming probably more a character and plot man, perhaps. I read something like Pachiva. I read did him in, uh, in class this morning and it's profoundly humbling just just, just what he can do in, 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 in three pages of a short story more and more that that interests me what's so humbling what it's did he do such, it's just a, it's such, just a master of prose no tricks no messing around with structure with him just he makes a single sentence do so many things at once do you have an example? I've probably got an example in my bag. You have to read the whole story to see how hard each sentence is working. But but it's such a short little thing, isn't it? What's the name of it again? Goodbye, my brother. Give me four sentences. Two. Lawrence is the member of the family with whom the rest of us have least in common. We've never seen a great deal of him, and I suppose that's why we still call him Tifty, a nickname he was given when he was a child, because when he came down the hall towards the dining room for breakfast, his slippers made a noise that sounded like Tifty, Tifty, Tifty. That's what father called him, and so did everyone else. When he grew older, Diana sometimes used to call him Little Jesus, and mother often called him The Croaker. We had disliked Lawrence, but we looked forward to his return with a mixture of apprehension and loyalty, with, and with some of the joy and delight of reclaiming a brother. That's that's almost the whole short story just contained in that, I think. Uh, view um, Chiva as a kind of an echo chamber, and the words 
echo what's gone before and what's going to come next. What kind of weird guy can have nicknames as diverse as Tifty, Little Jesus and the Croaker? They're totally incompatible. And Tifty, the one that's stuck, you imagine, it's, it's sort of, that's what you call your pet squirrel. Mm-hmm. But Lawrence is no pet squirrel. Narrator of these lines, he sounds sort of reasonable, as a fair judge. He's, 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 he's persuasive. He's, he, he, he persuades you how reasonable he's being. But the family, really, that and as the story p- progresses, that that they are a freak show of monsters. They are monstrous <laughs> human beings. They're <laughs> diabolical. That there are little intimations of 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 this. Are just in a short passage. Read the whole thing. Go back. Look at any one part of it, it's almost like a fractal, sort of any little part of it, it actually it imitates the shape of the whole. It isn't a constant, straightforward shape either, it's, it's one that's in flux. So, yes, I'm still interested in structure, but this is where the, well, what we call genius lives. It's, it's, it's not thinking of something ingenious, you could, a new ingenious structure, a new ingenious way to tell the story. That's important too. But, it's but, not trying too hard? It's trying incredibly hard. It succeeds and it appears to be effortless. Chief is great. It's interesting. That's the first time. Uh, I mean, I know his stories are regarded as as important, but that's the first time that uh, in about three years that anyone's picked up Cheever and touted I, him. Yeah. Well, I I wouldn't know uh, what people are picking up and uh, <laughs> live in a cave in the west of Ireland and don't. Get out much? No, he's he's he's, he's really. I uh, I have a devout belief he's one of the greats. There's a story on the season of divorce that just it uh, it, it breaks my heart. This is interesting. Uh, it's at a tangent. He was an alcoholic, I think, right, yeah, and so. uh, well, not a very pleasant person, apparently. Probably not. I think the proportion of golf players or algebraists or, or road workers novelists who are pleasant people or unpleasant people it's probably more or less the same I think Have you read about him as a person? Uh, I know very little about him yeah. actually it's still far too much fiction for me to to allow with what I consider the luxury of actually reading about the creators mm-hmm. I'm always not that interested I'd rather no. meet them in their art but it is often true that the best of many artists is in their work and it's mm-hmm. not in their um, personalities I mean, if you're an alcoholic then it's almost not you it's mm-hmm. a sort of alien force that's partly or mostly taken over the person so I wouldn't hold his unpleasantness against him it's a damn good excuse to be unpleasant if you're an alcoholic yeah. it doesn't make it easy to live with and it doesn't poor grief mops who have to clean up after him my compassion is with them more yes but the daughter I think she she writes yeah yeah wow. Susan Cheever that's quite a quite an act to follow there are readers who read and who identify great works as those which are experimental. What I read, I read for sublime phrasing and for life-altering experiences being wrapped up in in a brilliant story that I can't put down. I mean, these are very traditional realist criteria that I use, but others... By realist, do you mean realistic, or do you mean a reading habit that requires the mode of realism? 
what I would classify as thing that produces a real response in me. I don't really care how it does it. But it seems to me that the the way that it most effectively does that is, yes, by replicating situations that have an impact on the experiences that I've had and make me react in a real way. I understand. But there are other people who read because they're thrilled with the puzzle or the used to, you know, looking at the, the form and the structure, and they use that as a criteria to determine what they like and what they don't like. There are some. Uh, Fenn calls them the Uber readers. <laughs> but there's, n- there's not enough of them to go around to earn much of a living from, unfortunately. If as a byproduct my structure happens to please them, then I'm happy. Mm. Uh, but uh, I don't write primarily for them. I, I read for the same reason as you, and I think most people do. It's just this wonderful connection you can make with another human being, with the author and with the author's creations. And um, just savouring the beauty of the lines and the, the, the skill entailed. Yeah. One description of what you've done is you've linked highbrow concepts with pulp content. Oh. Pulp not used in a derogatory way. Well, that's uh, that's very nice thing to have said about me, I think. I think the world is more hung up on highbrow, middlebrow, pulp than art itself is. I think it's, it's actually simpler. It's, is it any good or not? And if it is, if it has the trappings of pulp, doesn't matter if it isn't, and it has a, and if it sort of smells like kind of high literature, it still won't make it good if it's not good. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Tolstoy is able to pack it all in there. Yeah, yeah. And Dickens. In fact, I mean, is it Paul? I mean, for a long time, I believe, up until the 60s, I don't think Dickens was taught in university that it was considered just pot boiling, yeah. and rubbish. But they were wrong. It's, it's good. Perhaps it was pot boiling stuff, but it was just good, and it is good. Um, Except hard times, which is a bit ropey, but he's he's allowed an off day. He he didn't write books. He wrote what's a plural of cosmos. It's not really a word that has me. Cosmi. <laughs> Cosmi. <laughs> he wrote Cosmi. <laughs> pleasing, isn't it? There's a flower called uh, cosmos. It does very well in Japan. I know it very well. Just when you think the colour of autumn is over, you get these pinks and whites and. Very subtle kind of colours. Tall things, tall, yeah, beautiful things. They grow where stuff doesn't normally grow as well, like building sites and verges and stuff. Grace, mm. that was a great, from Earth's point of view, they do less harm. <laughs> yeah, they're more benign. Yeah. Well, speaking of Japan and Nabokov, Nabokov, we hadn't been speaking of him, I just brought him in. He spoke... Russian, he wrote in English, he had a very good grasp of the English language, perhaps better than almost any other English native speaker. And what you've done is you've immersed yourself in another culture. I wonder if you could talk about how it's changed your perspective on, on the English language. Teaching was good for me, actually. I've got a few of my students this week retrospectively complained, that is to say regretted or rude, their lack of a grammatical, lack of grammar lessons at school, which kind of went out of fashion in the late 70s, I think. It is handy to know when Father Christmas comes, I'll leave a mad of mince pie. If Father Christmas comes, I'll leave a mad of mince pie. If Father Christmas came, I would leave a mad of mince pie. If Father Christmas had come, I would have left him mad of mince pie. 
handy to know that stuff, tend to know sort of about the degrees of possibility that the zero conditional to the third conditional entail. Just automatically they come to you like being able to say the times table. Yeah. All native English speakers know it intuitively, but to have learnt the rules because I had to teach them was really good for me. I've recently become aware that a repeated theme in my books, and especially in the one I'm just finishing now, I'd have to hand in on August the 10th, God help me. It's not communication, it's miscommunication. It's people who can't understand each other fully or properly, linguistically, non-linguistically, but especially in this book, linguistically. It's people speaking third languages that, that they might have in common. So I've got one scene, there's, there's an Englishman, a Dutchman, and a Japanese, and the common language is actually Dutch because of the, the time and place, and, and none of them speak it very well. It's an awful tangled mess. It's, it's, it's really hard to write as well without just your page looking just horrible. You're writing in broken up English to replicate people who are having trouble with yeah. the language. Yeah, well, yes, and uh, it's good to have worked with uh, people mm. learning English from a very basic level. You, you get to see um, the problems, and uh, you get to be able to write it plausibly as well. Do you do tend to deal with connections and uh, the importance of people all around the world being on the same page? Yeah, connections. Is, is, it be one of those platitudinous profundities, I'm, I'm afraid, but... Will I only connect? Yeah, yeah, he was there first. Oh, <laughs> of course, so good. So elegant and unhurried and very good writer. It's all about connections. Life isn't units. Life's the clashes and the subsume... What's the noun of subsume? Subsumations. All these sort of melding verbs that there are sort of to... to conjoin, to clash, to spark off, to meet, to to interpenetrate, to have a causal relationship with cause effect, cause effect, pool balls, blah 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 blah. It's these verbs, this is what life is. And uh, it's an attempt to get out of oneself and connect to not connect. Yes to, to connect. Connect to. or not to connect. Uh, Exactly. We can or we can't, we do, we don't, we don't necessarily, and we are lonely and depressed if we don't. <laughs> and when we, are, when we are, we want to be connected with someone else at oh, times. Uh, uh, infinite permutations. Yeah, I think that's a platitude of this profundity. That's okay. Well, unfortunately, that's, these, these cliches often hold true, so... Yeah, you, but you want to you want to get to new new truths. I mean, you strike me as someone who really is wanting to do something that has not been done before. Well, I guess most artists would aspire to that. Not having that as your primary, you're just wanting to get what's inside of you out. Yeah, I think if you're true enough to yourself, then by default you'll be original, it's because you know, our lives take us such unique and individual. But every idea has been thought before. Yeah, it has. But not necessarily expressed that same way. And not necessarily expressed in that same lattice work of other ideas put on that mm. street of ideas. Well, I know uh, the fact that we can talk about the internet and Plato couldn't have talked about that. Yeah. I view the components of the novel as the five elements of um, plot, character, okay. style ideas, 
structure. The greatest is character, I think. But uh, it's interesting, these units kind of evolve as the novel has evolved. Plot and character evolve at the speed of human evolution. As with your Plato and the Internet example. Ideas too, evolve the idea at the speed of science, at the speed of philosophy. Structure, that's, that's interesting. Uh, style, style uh, does it evolve? It, uh, I suppose it does. It, 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 has its, it has an evolution of its own just by people being influenced, for example, by Raymond Carver. Oh, wow, I want to write that Raymond Carver. People write style can kind of shunt for that reason. Then you get oddball one-offs like German poll, um, Bruno Schultz. Yeah. A bit of Kafka in there, maybe. I don't know if you've read Kafka, but... You mean purely original without having any influence? What style is that? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. It's, 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 a, it's like duck-billed platypus almost. <laughs> it's, 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 it's like... <laughs> Comes out of nowhere and no one's related <laughs> to it. <laughs> Why? <laughs> Structure, however, and this reiterates what I said earlier about it being a virgin fact. It's a sort of um, it's kind of evolution. I don't know. It's it's sort of it's the structure of most things on the book of shortlist last year it won't be that different. I'd suggest humbly to the structure of the mad sods of the 18th century, the fieldings and the. The, the arts, arts, the beginnings, middle ends, the um, imitation of time, the, the, or the translation of our time into fictional time. Most things are structured by time as we experience it. I, but you've played around with that, or, yeah. right, or you've done that. Yeah, it's relatively easy to be a mad scientist alone in his sort of secret lab, messing around with structure, I think. If you do it for its own sake, as a, a gimmick, then of course it'll be horrible, but if you can somehow marry the structure with theme and, and story and story plot then um then it can be there for a reason and it can kind of perhaps contribute to, to an evolutionary shift in the novel or not it might you might just write one more oddball structural one off and that's okay too can we get specific you know um w by george perec that's a weird structure it's a weird book but Absolutely right. It's a it's an oddball structure. Just to remind you, it's sort of a it's spliced between um, war memoirs, little boy, and this dystopia, sports dystopia on an island off the tip of South America, somewhere where it's all organised around sports, and it's mm. just a horrible. And that's actually a metaphor for the um, Nazi state. Uh, it's just really good, and you care about the character, you care about the little boy. You used the word splice. Wait, A, B, A, B, A, B. That's right. Yeah, this. I'm interested in this. I'm trying to do it in this book at the moment on, on a sort of textual level to uh, splice. A guy is sh shaving, and we, this is my protagonist, he shaves, and he's, I want to do backflash at the same time, so I have a line of shaving and kind of self-reflection, and then a line of backflash, and then a line of shaving and a line of, back, of backflash. And the rule is it mustn't touch the right-hand margin. Keep it really concise. And um, I'll find out in a few weeks if it's working or not. My <laughs> editor tells me, what are you doing here, you fool? So you're bringing poetic form and structure into the novel then? Having a go. I've been thinking of haiku, actually. Just That is also kind of like a Joyce outer limit, except there's an inner limit. 
it can't be shorter and still be a poem. It can't be shorter and still be language. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Write it into some sort of 60s experiment that you'd rather be involved in a minor car crash and actually have to read. Which is appropriate enough because uh, the thing was set in and around Nagasaki. Yeah, I tried to. The moment it uh, smells of poetry, uh, then it's sunk. I like symbols. As soon as they smell of symbols, then they're done. There's a great symbol here uh, in John Cheever. It's very good at the symbol, which doesn't look like a symbol. They have to be like objects. It's interesting you mentioned haikus as a, a poet. He's a young poet out of Montreal, and he wrote a whole book of what he calls pseudo-haikus, and they're hilarious. I l like him very much calling them pseudo-haikus. You can't do them outside of Chinese and Japanese, I believe, uh, and it's still going to be a haiku. Chirwen Tija is his name. New and good stuff happens when one culture takes something from another, has a go at imitating it and gets it wrong, uh, and that wrong can be new, glorious and right. When I first went to Japan, I was served a salad with cornflakes on, and at first, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> just laughed. But, what, it's a really clever thing to put on a salad, it tastes great. Like a crouton, except yeah. flattened out. Yeah, yeah, a little bit sweeter. So uh, that taught me to be a little bit humbler about uh, how cultural juxtapositions are not necessarily laughable. And I suspect it's, it's sort of everything original that's ever happened in the world that has kind of come from such a you know, happy blunder. I'm thinking of, what was it, the milkmaids and Pasteur, wasn't it? Louis yeah, Pasteur, yeah, yeah, and it was yeah, yeah. lots of... Uh, Discover scientific discoveries have been made because of mistakes. Yeah. Attempting other things and yeah. as a byproduct. Which suggests almost that a necessary element of scientific and artistic endeavour is to keep in the corner of your eye, just watch out for these things in the corner of your yeah, eye. Yeah, peripheral vision. Yeah, peripheral vision focusing on serendipitous blunders might, in a weird way, be as important as pure high-octane analytical intellect. And intention. And intention. So, uh, with structure, you say that it's a, f a field that's there to furrow. Perhaps. I like reading books that have unusual structures and which work, and I like to write the kind of books I would one day like to read. Therefore, I do have an attraction. I feel attracted to trying to do it. You've mentioned W. Yeah, I'll write some other books that do it. Uh, Marty Fellman's United Traveller. Although, reading it more recently, I'm kind of wondering how much it actually all adds up to. It's, it's enchanting, but I'm not sure if it's that much more than enchanting now. If on a winter's night... Well, that's right, it's fun, there's not that many, are there? There, there, there was things written by, by the French in, in the 60s, Georges Bataille, Georges Bataille, Bataille, yeah. I think the name was. Or uh, there's something called the Erasers, who is that by? They've been out of print for years, and, and when you read them, you can kind of see why. Just, they, they might be ingenious, but they're just just uh, kind of unreadable as well. Rob Grill? Yeah, thank you. Thank yeah. you. You at the Evasers. Yeah, George Bataille was someone completely different. Did Some you? philosopher. Yeah. I must be, I must be more careful of uh, trying to name drop Frenchman. <laughs> what else does it? Great weird structure that nonetheless works. Oh, today which goes backwards in time zero. That works. Not a lot. Which might partly because of my lack of erudition, but it might also partly prove my point. can't think of many. Really good ones. Really good books with oddball structures. Uh, but does structure have to do with time then, primarily, or space? 
how the plot is chopped up, and time, mm. and maybe space, how the book's ordered, chapters, or this book of hospital by Terry Lit that has no chapters at all, it's just one 400-page furious headlong rush, that's kind of a structural experiment, I'd say. Gertrude Stein, without the punctuation. And then B.S. Johnson, it's in a box and you can you can read whatever part of it you want to it in whatever. And different endings too, John Fowles did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he would be a structural monkey without you. Right. Um, French of Tenet's woman, of course. That is an arch postmodern trope of having the author in the book, which now looks really, really dated. Yeah. <laughs> These are things that you're playing around with in your in your mind and your writing right now, and because you you think that there's something original that's that's going to come from it that'll change the direction of the novel, which is how you partly want to be remembered as someone who's pushing the boundaries. I mustn't think of the I mustn't think of those terms. Sort of, if you start to think how you'd like to be remembered, that 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 that, that really is planning your funeral a long time ahead of I hope at least. I certainly wouldn't, um, I, I couldn't subscribe to the last part. Having said all that about structure, I kind of know what my written the first third of a strange trilogy, and the one I'm handing in is, 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 number, is, one. is number one. Yeah. Okay. It won't read like part one of a trilogy, it'll read like a, a complete book, and the next one will also read like a complete book, although there'll be some links, and then the third one will make it obvious that it's a trilogy, although I hope that will also read like a complete book. It's very important that they're independently readable, but the pleasure and the flashes of recognition will be enhanced for the reader who reads all three, I think. Yeah, 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 for sure. It's structurally innovative. The structure is slightly innovative. Now, the one of the nails, it's, it's almost a classical. It's a three acts, so it, it's a book in three books. I've kind of done a triple album of a novel, really, and each, each book has 13 sections. And I'll have a couple of uh, epilogues tagged onto the end. God, I'd better write them soon. That's very... I'm speaking with uh, David Mitchell, whose most recent novel was Braxform Green. Just to wind down our conversation and leave it as unstructured as it seems to have been, this is a completely different question. I'd like your thoughts on the importance or lack of importance of evaluative criticism as opposed to simply looking at a work and breaking it down and talking about how it's structured and how its characters interact and that type of look at the book versus doing that but then also comparing it with others and ranking it I view just to mention one of my favourite animals again the duck-billed platypus I view the novelists the artists as duck-billed platypuses platypus eye. I like the eye. We've been going with the eye. Yeah, with the eyes today. Yeah. Get, I, I love those double eyes. It's just a beautiful thing to see, aren't they? I like a um, J next to an eye, too. Beautiful. Yeah. And if sometimes uh, you get an Arabic word or something where the eye is before the J, beauty to behold, isn't it? Just ah. Critics are the taxonomists, the zoologists, and, and novelists are the double platypus eye. We sort of do our thing. We are underground tunnels, swim around, write our novels, reproduce, live and die. And one reason I'm not an academic is I can't really get my head around criticism. Uh, well, I probably prefer reading the evaluative more, maybe, but I tend, I tend, to, tend to read that much. The 
job of the, of the zoologist and taxonomist is an important and an honourable one, but to the duck-billed platypus eye, it is of course also irrelevant. They have their lives, the zoologists have their lives and, and their work. But to some extent you're a taxonomist, you've been looking at other structures to get ideas from them and a good enjoyment. Repost, Nigel, yeah, I suppose so. I can say is I don't really think about it that much. And I'm sure you can see that if an artist starts to think about his place in the canon, then they've got one foot in the grave. But you would uh, look at one structure and say, this has got a complexity and a, a pleasing arc or circle yeah, yeah, or yeah. squiggle that others don't have, and, and I value that. And Which is analytical, right? Well, it's also uh, evaluative, too, because it's putting it above uh, another work that may not hold the complexity. Oh, you've laid an ingenious lair for me, Mr. Beale. Um, <laughs> you've made me talk about that for half an hour, and then, yes, yes, I suppose I do do it, um, but um, I, I do it insofar as and up to the point where it's useful for my work, and after that, it feels like it's no longer my job. Mm -hmm. you, let me get away with that answer. Yeah, yeah, that's fine. Okay, thank you. And just, just to, f to finish then, given your the pleasure you gain from analyzing structure, you've mentioned W, you've mentioned a few other books. But are, there, are there others that, that you would highlight for readers who enjoy your work and may like to trace the roots of it? I don't really know what my roots are. I hope that doesn't seem like a kind of an artful way of praising my own originality. I, I, I don't mean that at all. But, uh, There's so many tendrils that your your work. Oh, thank you. If, if people haven't read Chekhov's short stories, I don't really write like him and don't particularly aspire to. I aspire hopefully one day to be of half as good as him. I'd be really happy. I think he's a wonderful writer. His short stories really do it for me. And Cheever, of course. Cheever, I think he's an ancestor of. Chekhov in oh. literary terms, okay. not uh, genetic terms. <laughs> you never know these days, though. You, you can, never know. You the, can, uh, and they both begin with cha. <laughs> in particular, I think the longest thing Chekhov ever, ever wrote was a, what's, it's as good as a novella, I think, in length, called The Duel. And I think that is, just, it kind of, I don't know what it does to me. It just, a few times, no more cumulatively than a few minutes in a year when you're suddenly more alert and awake and alive and, and dare I say it, happier. Not smiley happy, but just... Content. Content, yeah. Just a few, it only adds up to just a few minutes a year, really. I mean, it could be fine for Mr. But, but, but Reading that works? Uh, that does it for me, yeah. It, 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 it's that same feeling that I can't find a word for. It's, it's just that same sort of... Pure pleasure of being connected to him here yes yeah it, it makes me delighted to be here <laughs> it reminds me to remember just what a miracle life is in the first place well we're delighted that uh, that you're here and have been here thanks so much for taking the time it's my pleasure Nigel yeah. thanks for coming all the way here to see me David Mitchell, his first novel was ghostwritten and awarded the John Llewellyn Rees Prize for Best Book by a Writer Under 35, shortlisted for the Guardian First Book Award. His second novel, Number Nine Dream, was shortlisted for the Booker, 
and he has just completed a, a new novel which uh, will be submitted to the editor in August, but probably out next May. So it takes that long to. Uh, this is go. this is as fast as they can do it. I've broken a couple of deadlines. Well, thanks again. Thank you too.